Welcome to Take Note. This is episode 195. The numbers are really getting up there, Adam. I'm, I'm here with Adam. Hi, Adam. Numbers are getting up there, both in the context of this podcast and also just in general. Numbers are getting up there. Yep. Just to, to break the fourth wall for a second, just before uh, we started recording this podcast, we talked about two things. We talked about Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, and we talked about not breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. I think we're... Are you... Are you breaking it by talking about things that we talked about off of the podcast? Possibly. I'm reading uh, Lauren Groff's new book, The Vaster Wilds, and there's a great moment where the the main character is counting. She's counting something or steps or something like that, and she gets up to 999, and she hasn't had a lot of schooling, so she's not sure what comes after that. She thinks it may have something to do with thousands, but she's not quite sure. <laughs> On the theme of numbers, really, How's that book? really getting up there. It's great. It's great. Is um, it weird? Is it real weird? It's no, it's not weird. It's it's historic fiction. It's Jamestown adjacent, which is pretty latent and heavy duty, and uh, it's not going to let you get off easily. Uh, but it's fabulous. She's great. She's the best. Um, I'm recording in. My, I'm wearing my denim jacket caused quite a stir uh, a couple of episodes ago i have finally uh, i did a little photo shoot with my 11 year old she was uh, really happy actually to wear the denim jacket for the photo shoot um so stay tuned to our newsletter if you sign up for our newsletter if you want to if you want to see those uh those sweet denim patch pictures but uh our new segment we're gonna get, get it going again revving it back up notebook of the week um, Notebook of the week. So, you've got a little scheme cooked up here. Yeah. Well, uh, this week I'm going to introduce a notebook to you. It's a notebook I got uh, as a gift for the holidays, and the cover says "Award-winning poems from the first Elizabethan poetry award competition," um, and then inside it's a blank notebook, and the company is called About blanks and what they do is they take used beautiful used books and they remove the insides from them fill them with recycled paper i think and uh and then turn them into notebooks and then there's a nice like there's a nice plastic on mine at least i don't know that they're all like this there's a nice plastic cover on top of the book like a library book very and nice. so I've got this beautiful notebook, which I have not used yet because it is so beautiful. I think we all know the more beautiful a notebook, the harder it is often to use. Indeed. Uh, but that's what that's what this company does. Well, these these that, appear to be in a foreign language. Yeah, uh, these covers that I'm looking at now is yours in a foreign language? No, mine is in uh, English. Okay. And it says award-winning poems from the first Elizabethan. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, you weren't translating yeah. that. Okay. No, I wasn't. Um, I think I think if you were to hit shop online, maybe you would find. Oh no, a lot of them really are. They're beautiful, though, right? Yeah, they're very nice. Well, some in English. I wonder if they cool if you pay a little extra for. Yeah, what are they? There's. It looks like they're about twenty six pounds a notebook. Depends, um, but it's it's around that price. I think the company might be out of Denmark. Okay. And oh yeah, they're beautiful. Um, my wife found this through a company that delivered a, another, well, they didn't deliver, they provided another European 
gift for me, previously mentioned on the pod, my uh, tea advent calendar from the Cummins Tea, well, I don't know, distribution company and tea influencers. Um, but anyway, it all came from the uh, called the Boston General Store. Very nice. Um, which I think is something along the lines of three potato four yeah. company we talked about last week. Yeah, you're such um, a you're quite the locavore, aren't you? That's I mean, I, that's inappropriate, yeah, but but uh, made me think of uh, I'm offended of yeah. of uh, Caroline Weaver's new venture, the locavore, which is she's putting yeah, her finding. her usual gusto into it, and it's looking very cool. I never thought I'd f- enjoy shopping a little bodegas alongside someone on social media, but she's uh, she's doing it up. Yeah, so that's the notebook, and Very I mean, cool. I, I'm eager to use it, and you know, I think I just have to commit myself to like, I don't know, writing bad poetry or something in there. Uh, you know, you have a nice notebook like this, you want to find a good use for it. So I haven't started just yet, but that's about blanks is what people want to Google as they're listening to this, or you know, we'll have a link cool. in the show notes. Another notebook of the week segment. Look at us, consistency. Yes. We uh we read a book together. You and I both read a book, and we shared it with our listeners before we read it so that you guys could jump onto the bandwagon. You know when you're in the airport and you see a copy of W.G. Sable's <laughs> ver- you know, early novel, Vertigo, and you're like, oh, do I finally grab it and read this on this 45-minute uh, flight from Houston to Dallas? Uh, well, the answer the answer was yes. If you're a listener of this podcast, that's what we read. We read Vertigo, um, and you were gonna you're gonna tee this up, Adam. Give us a little. Yes, I am. You're gonna lay you know, the lay the foundation. I have a copy of Vertigo from the late '90s, I believe, maybe the early two, probably the early 2000s when it was published in uh, in English, oh, late '90s. But um, if you're if you're going to buy a copy of Vertigo at the airport, if you're going to see one, it's going to have a new cover design, fairly new, by uh, Peter Mendelssohn. And the covers that he re- did for the first three novels that Sabald published for New Directions are beautiful. So well, maybe we could put that in the show notes too. But people would buy this book in a bookstore if they saw that Peter Mendelssohn cover, I think. So, yeah, Vertigo was a... F- Sebald's first novel published in the early 90s in German, published at the end of the 90s in English. And um, Sebald, Sebald's books came out at the end of the 90s, the early 2000s, and in in Britain and in America, and became very, very popular very quickly. I'm going to say that the books came out about once a year. Um, and then his first book published for a big publisher was Austerlitz, and there was a lot of coverage of him. And then, you know, this this sort of this strange Sebaldian thing happened, and Sebald is kind of known for his coincidences and his deja vu, but he he dies at the at the height of this popularity from this book Austerlitz that was published, and as I was reading through, you know what was written about him at that time, and I remember reading this obit, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but this obit mentions that. Uh, it quotes, the New York Times obit quotes the New York Times profile of Sebald that was published four days before he died. So it says, as we wrote on, in his profile, 
in the Times, you know, as published earlier this week, hmm. um, you know, there's references to that. So just just to give you a sense of like how sort of shocking it was that this person and this this writer, this German writer, had been living in England for um, most of his adult life is on this meteoric uh, kind of bizarre rise because the books are very strange. And then it's cut short when he dies in a car accident. Um, so I wanted to, you know, kind of set the scene with, with that context. And then for me, in 1999, I was assigned by a professor this book, The Emigrants, which is one of the great places to start with Sebald. Um, it's four long stories all on the same theme. And uh, just the other day, I found my notebook from the moment that I was assigned uh, those books to read. But this book, oh. Vertigo, of his four novels, was sitting on my shelf, and I hadn't happened to read this one. And then about a month ago, I said, hey, maybe we should read this for the show. And that's what we did. Well, and uh, many years ago, I think I was, I want to say I was, I had just graduated from college. I was possibly still living. I worked at col- the, my college for a year, and I think I was working and living there when you recommended Austerlitz to me. And I'm pretty sure I read it and enjoyed it um, and, and you know, learned what Zabald was all about with his little images that he would paste in between and the kind of motifs of walking and wandering and cities and history layered onto cities and kind of uh, trauma embedded in the architecture. Um, so so uh, thanks to you, I've had that Zabaldian mindset um, cooking in my head for all that time. So when you, when you suggested that we read, uh, we read Vertigo, I kind of was like, uh, go back to his his world, um, which has been cool. And I think it's fair to say it's it is that Vertigo is in is very Sabaldian. Yeah, and hard to know exactly what we mean by that. There's sort of a melancholy, but it's almost an over the like in a way the melancholy is almost humorous. Yes, it's, I think it is written <laughs> yes. as an act. You know, I think it is supposed to. I think it is a true melancholy, but it is also you're supposed to be amused by how melancholy it is. There's a reference in this book to him feeling like he's been followed by Dante. Um, <laughs> and I th- and like I think for we a are second, supposed to laugh at that. For a second, I thought it was Dante. <laughs> And you know, there's a there's a a sense that this sort of evasiveness is it humor? Is it uh, true melancholy? I think ties into another another sort of technique of his, which is to never really divulge if we're reading a piece of fiction or a piece of memoir, or uh, is he the narrator? Is it a is the narrator somebody else? I mean, he's he's evasive not only with I think. Um, the tone but also with the genre which you know it it reminds me a bit of paul oster if you've read any paul oster who will write a piece of fiction and the main character of which is named paul oster yeah and he'll meet a character trying to kill him named paul oster i mean there's a there's a certain uh tricksterism going on that's not going to let the reader know exactly what is happening at a given time which i think is part of the Zabaldian universe. Uh, y- it's hard to get firm footing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, and I think it's filled with lies, right? I mean, I, um, it is supposed to be him, but 
he makes a lot of things up, and I think he works a lot of fiction into his, um, into the into the nonfiction parts, and then he makes a point of not saying what's real and what's not real. He has these pictures in the text that make it all seem more real, mm, but definitely. they're they, I they're tricks. Many of them are tricks. Not all of them are tricks, which is kind of part of the trick. It reminds me of this book by Benjamin Labutat, who. It's his first novel. It's not the most recent one. And it's about physicists, actually, including Heisenberg. Um, and uh, it came out a couple of years ago. And he he says, like, in an afterword that in the stories, the, uh, the first story is completely true. And the last story is almost entirely fiction. And then it's, it just slowly becomes more fictitious. And he was inspired by Sebald. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a trickster thing going on. Let's just kind of... I'll do, we'll just talk very briefly about the plot of the book, of which, you know, plot I'd kind of use loosely, but there's the first, it's about travels through Europe, and the first section is about um, Stendhal, although in the book, Stendhal is never mentioned, he's only mentioned by his real name, which is um, Bale, something Bale, um, and so they never say that it's Stendhal, and it's about his young life. Um, and as, uh, as he was part of Napoleon's army invading Italy, the second section is about Casanova in so Venice, the guy except from, the guy from the first section is like a famous writer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You got me again, Sabald. Well, but yeah, there we go. Uh, the only way you'd know it though is like, it's on the flap of my book cover, right? Yeah. It's insane. I didn't do a lot of research. On the, yeah. On the flap of my book cover, it says the opening section is devoted to Stendhal's memories, but there's they don't say Stendhal on no. the entire section. No. Anyway, okay. second second section is about Casanova in Venice, and then the third is Kafka in uh, Lake Garda, but they don't say Kafka; they say Doctor K. Uh, also, Casanova in Venice is like not the interesting part of the Venice section. It's pretty brief, actually. It's about Sebald's travels through Venice. Um, you know, following in the footsteps of Casanova. And then the last section is, and you know, then you got to go according to the flap and who knows if it can be trusted. It's Sebald's returns to his childhood and describes the B- Bavarian village where he grew up, um, which I think is, uh, well, I don't know if that's well, the biggest part of it, but it, I mean, it you feels could, like you a could certainly say, conclusion. Yeah, you could certainly say that the narrator... It goes through that. Yeah. Whether or not it's Zabold himself is probably something to debate. Right. Uh, I, I, yeah, and I found that I found that final section to certainly. Well, you know, when thinking of plot, uh, there's a there's a like a technique that he seemed to use uh, throughout the book that I thought really, in a way, it was it mirrored the plot, which was to sort of save the most important piece of contextualizing information for last, even within like a sentence. So like, you know, I, the, the example that sticks in my head, but that's probably not the most prominent one, is that uh, he, 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 he needs something out. He wants someone to take his photo outside of a pizzeria. And he says, you know, I stopped this young man to take my photo and... Uh, you know, he was reluctant at first, and then he took it once, and then, uh, and then his fiance said she didn't want to do it anymore. And I just thought, 
Well, the fiance was there the whole time. You just never mentioned that there were two people there. You just only mentioned the one and ignored the other one who was six inches away from the fiance. And that something about that technique, I, I felt like the this was like a memoir that he he saved his childhood for last. So you go, oh, this was his childhood. What a strange experience. No wonder. All of his wanderings through these cities are so weird, and he's so nervous about old old ghosts following him all the time. He grew up like this. But, you know, the traditional memoir starts with the childhood and then builds on it from there and says, here's here's how my childhood shaped all my experiences. But, of course, Zabald being Zabald, he, he flips the script and waits till the very end to give you the childhood. Yeah, I love that. It's, I think it's very insightful, and I think it kind of... You're right. It explains why that would be at the end, why that would even be in the book, because uh, the first few sections are all Italy, I think. And it seems like it's just an Italian, it's an Italian, a dark, sad sort of <laughs> Italian travelogue with yeah. these interesting bits of trivia. Oh, there are those funny points where he's in a way showing you how the book is made, which you know, it's been 20 years since I've read the other books, but I don't remember those. Uh, that happening in the other books there's also this bit where he's in the kafka section where he sees two boys that look just like kafka um and when kafka was a boy and he tries he asks the boy's parents they're on a bus and he asks the boy's parents if um if they would be willing to send pictures of their sons to him at, at his address he'd give them the address so that he can include them in the book and he says it becomes clear that they think he's a pederast mm-hmm. and he feels very uncomfortable on the bus and then departs before his exit. That was one uh, of the great comic scenes that you could think of. Uh, this demented writer <laughs> begging someone to, that he can take care of the, take photos of their children because they were, and you start to think to yourself, how does he know what Kafka as a child even looked like? Who is this guy? I like that he saw it in himself. And I think there are those moments of humor. And they do make the somberness in a way more somber, but also in a way more laughable, um, more comic. You see him making fun of himself at times. So you kind of, you can make fun of the the somberness. You could kind of feel both things at once. Absolutely. And the other technique I think he uses with great regularity uh, that is humorous is to is, is this hyperbole that he uses i mean things like you know uh so i there there was I, i'm paraphrasing or making it up actually but it's like there was there were a few dust bunnies under the bed at which point i realized humanity is doomed for all time and uh, and this you know we're just spinning through a dark universe like he would go from sort of the ba- the fact he didn't research which hotels would be nice so he ends up in a crummy one and uh his own lack of research leads him to uh to uh find that the that he's very very sad and it was it's just this over the top sort of no cause and effect which i like as a reader the only response is to me was humor i kept thinking to myself well he's uh He's the sad bastard's lying on another crummy hotel bed again, feeling sorry for himself. It's like, you know, they write guidebooks about these kind of things. You could find a nice place. 
It's not that hard. They, uh, well, they, they write guidebooks. I may use this book as a guidebook because <laughs> Kafka goes to Lake Garda for a conference. Um, he's supposed to be greeted by the people in the town, but he just sits on the grass and eventually they go home. Um, but I, I'm hosting a conference in Lake Garda this June. Amazing. So I'm, yeah. So now, did I was, you know this when you picked up no, the book? No, wow. I had no idea. Wow. Um, but I mean, I have been told that that's where Germans vacation. So, I mean, I have repeatedly. Um, so I, you know, I loved that part of it. And I love the fact that he never makes it to his conference. Um, cause he's sitting in the grass. Um, and I liked the description of like the, uh, the, the, um, the hotel in Verona, like I'm looking at as I'm so, okay. As I'm reading this book, I'm looking up a number of things. I'm trying to get to the bottom of some of the things he's talking about. You know, he mentions this great earthquake in, I've got it in my notes here, but I think in, uh, 1755. Um, and you know, I'm looking up that I'm looking up the hotel he stays in, in Verona and looks great. Maybe I could stay there for a night. Who knows? Um, and, and that actually got me thinking that in a way, this book reminds me of Richard Linklater's film Slacker. We did a, did a Slacker pod during yeah. the pandemic with my buddy Kugler. But the thing that we always really liked about that movie is true of this book, that it is this, it is really at the end of the moment before the internet. Um, mm. And in fact, they're set at the same time, at the very end of the 80s. This book's published in Germany in 1990. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and um, I mean, I guess it's I guess anything before that time is before the internet. But that is right at the you know he's wandering Italy, you know, just years before he could look any of this stuff up on the internet. Not not saying yeah. that Sebald would, um, but I did I did find that fascinating and this feeling of being so close to the present, but still uh, quite far from where we are today. I mean, it's it's. 34 years later now after this book was written or published originally but it in a way it feels much farther also i loved this uh sebald 1990 german diary that's on one of the pages um i don't know if uh i don't know if you noticed that but there's a page from his diary um and it's this beautiful iconic looking german text this sort of uh, looking towards the 80s, slanted, um, I think Helvetica. It's gorgeous. I spent some time looking that up. I can't find it. The guy liked a notebook. He sounded like he walked around with a notebook. Oh, yeah. Through all I mean, he, he sits in a, he sits in bars mm -hmm. writing uh, everything he saw all day. And then you get the, you know, he's writing what you're reading. He's writing about the book you're reading. Well, I think time, you know, he 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 is of a time, um, but he's obsessed with. I think the layers. Uh, oh, it's, I I just keep thinking of layers. You know, it's like he walks through, he walks down the street, and he can't help but think of something that happened on that street eight hundred years ago, or or in nineteen thirteen, or or and and he does not. 
give the reader particular clues that these jumps are taking place or he doesn't give much context about a time jump that's happening. You just sort of find yourself in these different scenes and he doesn't give names. And and uh, as a reader, it, I, I, you know, you say it was like, like I had to sort of keep reminding myself that it took place in the eight, in the 80s because you're in... You're back in time, but you're also, even when he comes back to the 80s, it still feels like you're back in time because I think because of exactly what you're saying. There's, you know, all of the indicators of contemporary culture. Uh, we've moved past them. But I think he's also continually being cagey about that, too. He's not, I mean, to 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 layer in his Bavarian childhood with his this long walk that he takes, where he's walking through the 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 landscape of his childhood, and then he's telling a story from when he was a child. But then he's walking to the down the same block as an adult. It's just a very temporally porous environment. That I I if I'm if I'm thinking something is a baldy, and that's a very that that's what I would include in there. It's like slipping easily from one time to another which you know something like slackers is uh you know it's a film i i didn't i think i watched part of it but it's very much visually of its time i feel like in a way the style mm -hmm. and the you know you're in one city and you're although you know I, yeah, that's a great comparison i think that's a great comparison and it, it makes me i think too of like the flaneur you know this idea or the flaneuse is the female um, yeah. Take I think of that idea too as being something that really conjoins with this book of like walking as a an exercise or as a kind of virtuous undertaking, and that your knowledge of the the thing of of how the city works and and what the forces at play are. I think that's a that's a a a, a mindset that really plays out in this book too. So my favorite part of the book is the fourth section. So the last third of the book is that part where he returns to, um, he returns to his, well, I think the section is probably called return to the homeland. Uh, I, my Spanish isn't good, but it might be return, return to the homeland. He goes back to his hometown in Bavaria. That's my favorite section, but I, yeah. I know it's really something to say that, um, I don't get to my favorite part of the book until the last 90 pages until after like 170 pages into it. And I think you thought, I believe you thought that the book was kind of a little bit of a slog. And I think it's like, let's be open with those feelings to our listeners. Was it, yeah. was it a little too dry? A little too, you know, it wasn't exactly your thing, right? I enjoyed the beginning in which I felt like, Oh, he's, you know, he's telling the history of, uh, you know this this quirky Napoleonic soldier who's kind of a kind of a, I don't know uh, uh, dum dum with the ladies and you know it's kind of these anecdotes um, and then you get Zabald his sort of uh, exaggeratedly morose walking through um, Venice I I was down for all that I think when it pivoted to Doctor K. And I then I started to think, I don't know who this is. 
I and I started to feel a little bit jerked around, like, okay, now I'm in this other time and it's names. I I had I, I, I had to push through that a little bit. I got a little bit uh I was like, uh, okay, enough with the not telling me what anything is. Like I think I'm mm-hmm. a little tired of this trick. But I, I too really enjoyed the last section. It was really imaginative and the anecdotes were fabulous. I really got some strong um um uh what's that Russian dude's name? The Russian writer. Chekhov. I got some real okay. I got some strong Chekhov vibes and then I was sort of transported to uh George Saunders's book where yeah, Tolstoy and those like uh, some of those real domestic but in the past anecdotes like I love that that when he was talking about uh, one of the notes I made was when the the doctor and the whatever the I don't know veterinarian and the doctor or something like, like got their bags switched because they both used these the priest and the doctor mistakenly exchanged their rucksacks so that the the doctor tended to one of his patients with the tools for the last rites and the priest showed up at a, to a dying person's bed with you know uh healthcare implements i thought those kind of things were <laughs> really fabulous like like strong storytelling not just flat wandering he i i was surprised by how often nothing happened yeah yeah which i don't think characterized I, the whole book but i thought characterized large portions of the book yeah, there are these, um, he goes down these alleys and he doesn't always end up <laughs> moving forward. Yeah, but I mean, there there were lots of great moments. Like, I really love the episode um, when the, the, the innkeepers or whatever are trying to help him redeem his passport. And I, I loved everything in the last section and I, uh, so, so there were lots of, lots of great occurrences, I think. Um, but they weren't great because I didn't know who they were or, you know, because right. it was like, like to me, the, the, there was a bit of like the coyness didn't really add that much for me. Um, mm-hmm. the great, the great yeah, storytelling a- and writing was what I thought really sung. And well, I, if you were, you know, if you were being critical, it'd be like, well, I really love the storytelling. Can you cut out all the difficult, <laughs> annoying stuff? There's cryptic stuff, right? Yeah. So there's, um, he's cryptic, and there's this thing in the Kafka section, which is great, but I had to look it up, um, <laughs> which is there's like these references to Kafka's story. I think it's the Black Hunter or something, but there's a scene where he goes to take a leak in a train station and he sees the beginning, uh, or he sees some uh, graffiti that says... Uh, I've read it. I wrote it in my notebook somewhere. But anyway, it's like the it's like the first phrase in a Kafka story, hmm. and then he adds the words to complete the phrase to make it the title of the uh, Kafka story. And then, you know, if you read stuff afterwards about this book, it's like oh, that whole section. He feels like he's being followed by uh, the hunter in the Black Forest. That's the Kafka story. So he sees the hunter written in graffiti in the in the station mm. in Italy and he writes in the black forest on it um oh, and yeah. he feels like he's being followed by this hunter in the black forest but it i mean I, it's too coy it's too cryptic to um you've got to google it and i think that is actually what got me to thinking about i'm reading this in a way that i mean i could have read it the same way in 2000 but it would have been much harder to to get 
that information. Yeah, out. to just to just. I mean, you would have to go back and. I mean, uh, uh, you, there's a reading in which it could be fun to like try and unpack all this. At, at my l- current life stage, I like can read two pages at a time and then get yanked away and by whatever, and then I come back. It's like not. I'm not in prime, say, bald, uh, solve all the puzzles of my fiction <laughs> mode. So, right, right. Uh, so I can acknowledge that, too. And all of this said, it's not like I didn't enjoy the book. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, enjoy, well, I, mean, I enjoy you telling me, you know, <laughs> I enjoy you unfolding that for me a little bit, too. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think we both like the book enough to recommend it to some degree. And, you know, I think I would just based on reading them 20 years ago, maybe recommend the other novels more. But I do think it's, you know, I want to be straightforward that the cryptic part is, you know, it might just be too cryptic at times. The writing yeah. is if the you, writing is clear. If you had the, not read this book yet, I would definitely recommend this book to you, to you, Adam Webb. Okay, yeah. sounds good. You sounds would love good. this book. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. Okay. Well, the last little Sebaldian detail that I want to share is we talked about reading this book because uh, I spotted it on my bookshelf. And then when I pulled it off the bookshelf, because we decided we were going to read it, I opened it up. And in this book is a postcard from the memorial to Sebald that I attended in, I think, the spring of 2002 in Boston at the Goethe House, um, which I must have I stuck that in this book. And I read the other three books. Um, I guess I'd already read the other, or I'd read a few of them already at that point, and I uh, I didn't see it for twenty years. That's really something. Well, and I I enjoy your relationship to Zabold too. I think uh, I I really do kind of, and maybe this was sort of you recommending his book back in the day, and then it just sort of seared myself, seared itself into my my sense of you i always have uh, associated you with this style and the your willingness to read sort of more challenging stuff that doesn't just hand things up to you on a silver platter so i enjoy that about this too so i've i've had a good time reading this book at the same time as you it's been enjoyable I wonder, wonderful what are we going to read next i don't know do are we waiting until next january or uh, maybe we'll be inspired yeah, we'll find something to read next. Good. Well, um, let's do this again next week, Adam. What, what do you say? Sounds great, bud. You can check us out on the internet at takenote.space. You can sign up for our newsletter where I will be posting pictures of uh, my denim jacket in the next <laughs> issue of the newsletter. Uh, we just expound on themes that we discuss here and even other just random stuff and write, a, write it up a little bit, get our thoughts down. Uh, you can email us at, with your thoughts at takenotecentral at gmail.com. Uh, in the meantime, take care.